This is Global Marxism, and I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. As a religion, the Marxist faith is driven by its appeal to the baser nature of man. Marxism essentially tells the poor man the reason somebody has more than you is because somehow they took it from you. You were oppressed in some manner. You deserve better. You deserve what they have. You deserve their lifestyle, their success, and you certainly deserve their standard of living. You were denied equal opportunities. That means there was no equity. We need equity in provisions and property. Marx hammered the idea of equity throughout his writings. The rich and the elite force the working man into subservience. They take advantage of him. They take advantage of his labor. The appeal is to the baser instincts of man. The emotions. I want more, and this guy wants me to have more, so why wouldn't I listen to him? If you step back to ancient Rome, and you'll discover that the Senate in Rome soon discovered that if they appealed to these things, they would be elected, and they would hold office for a longer period of time. And guess what is happening again today? The same thing. Appeal to the basic instincts of man, the animalistic instincts of man. First, with Marx and his religion, in the beginning there was the state. The state is the initiator, the instigator, and the provider, protector, and lawgiver for every citizen. There is no higher authority. The state can say, let there be light, and the light comes on. The state controls the utilities, you see. They control the food supply through regulation, the production of good through regulation, and the governing bodies. The state possesses all things. All private property belongs to the state who has social control. Now, private property means private property. Marxism revolves around material equity. It contains all the major structural and emotional factors of biblical religion in a secularized form. With the state as the head and Marx as the prophet who leads the new chosen people, as Moses would, the impoverished and oppressed, they go into the promised land through the blood red sea of revolution and through the struggles and the sufferings for the party, the sacrifices that are made. And there is now a new priesthood. Under Marx's teaching, the fall of Adam came when man bit deeply into the fruit of capitalism with its greed and lust for property and power and selfishness. Ah, but a day of judgment is coming when capitalism will be replaced by a classless society and there will be equity in all things. And that, essentially, is all that matters. The only difference between Marxism and Christianity is that Christianity is a monotheistic religion. Marxism is a monostatist religion. Only there is no grace or mercy present in Marxism. Many Marxists have wished to reject the comparison altogether, disavowing any association, and I'll repeat this later, between Marxism and Christianity. It's a relationship which really cannot be denied, though. Marx was obsessed with God. He was obsessed with the Christian God. It was his aim in life, he stated, as mentioned earlier, to dethrone God. And we'll mention this again. This is key to Marxist faith. If Marx was truly atheist, 
Why the preoccupation with one who does not exist? Why seek to dethrone a God with a corrupt idea that places man at the center? Man is far more corrupt than any can imagine. Why put your faith and your trust in man? Oh no, that's not what Marx was saying. What Marx was saying was, put your faith and trust in me. It was without question that he was truly preoccupied with religion and a hatred for God to such an extent that it even caused his father, Heinrich, to ask his son if he made a Faustian bargain, meaning he asked his son if he had made a deal with the devil. Today, the word Marxism is disavowed by politicians, particularly in America. Communism is never mentioned. Hannity, Tucker Carlson, all these, quote, conservative commentators, they, they don't mention communism or Marxism. They might say progressivism or socialism, but not Marxism or communism. The reason is that these words are coded with the memory of corruption, dictatorship, gore, and bloodshed. Vladimir Putin, he's a communist. He's a Marxist. We're not. Changing the word and trying to create a new identity, the world we don't see, the people behind the scenes, have resurrected a well-known and acceptable name from the past. Today, our politicians would never dare claim to be a communist or a Marxist. No, they're progressives, holding the identical ideologies of the past days of Marxism and communism. The religion lives a healthy life within the walls of the assemblies nationwide. Assemblies? Yes, assemblies. The assemblies of the Marxist faith are generally referred to as universities or colleges. For the Baptist, it would be good to point out that even their schools for the youth, which are named Sunday school, are filled daily. These are known as public schools, and they begin taking children in at the age of three. As we approach this particular religion, we'll be informed of the benefits of socialism, the idyllic life that progressive will lead us to, the equity and fairness it will provide, and the economic balance that will be achieved not to mention the comprehensive racial harmony that will be realized. There will be a stabilization to the culture. The greedy, heartless, rich capitalists will be overcome. This 1% group that preys on labor and abuses those who benefit them will be confronted. Their seeming impenetrable walls will finally be torn down as the walls of Jericho fell. Their fraud and evil desires, their corruption will be exposed and justice will be applied. Social justice will finally be realized. This is very appealing to the masses. It's alluring. One man says to both society and the church, it's very alluring. Due to the emotional desirability, history is ignored. The fact that socialism or progressivism or Marxism or communism cannot and has never provided the results they promise is irrelevant. So, they failed in practice, in application, in politics, in economics, and religion. They just didn't really understand what they were doing. But we do. We see clearly. All the clouds are gone. You see, there is no peace for the wicked capitalists. None. Ever. Religion, in secular application, is typically used as a tool, not a salve. It typically takes the God of Scripture and recreates him into a human likeness. His relevance is ignored, and his power and position is usurped. In his place, the power of the state is inserted, and the authority of men is empowered. 
These principles are fixed within the minds of the congregation, or the assembly, through the constant manipulation of facts and figures. Coercion and repression, that's relied upon. Liberty of thought is frowned upon. Expressed opinions are not allowed. Grades are given to represent obedience and adequate adherence to the doctrines being inculcated. At times, violent actions are taken to bring the errant individual back into the fold, violent in the way of social isolation, verbal reprimands, and physical restraint. In the public schools, the physical aspects are managed through recommendations of medical means. These medications include, but are not limited to, antipsychotics, antidepressants, mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety medications, sleep enhancers, or stimulants. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on. Am I reading that right? Wait, these are medicines used for public school students? Elementary? Yes, I'm reading from medications used for behavioral and emotional disorders. A guide for parents, foster parents, families, youth, caregivers, guardians, and social workers. Yeah, it was printed in May of 2010. This thing's 12 years old. But preschoolers are mentioned as being of primary concern. This is the focus of this article. The information I have was gathered from various textbooks provided by the Pediatric Psychopharmacology Studies and various clinical manuals that are focused on child and adolescent psychopharmacology. Huh. Shocking. There's been a concern recently regarding the increasing use of psychotropic medicine for preschoolers. These concerns include safety, efficacy, and ethics. This, again, is information gathered from the American Pharmacology Unit. It's under the title of Pharmacology for Young Children, Clinical Needs and Research Opportunities, and this was printed in October 1, 2001. So this is 21-year-old data. Wow. I personally have witnessed the effects of medical intervention in young children as young as third grade. A rowdy, loud, troubling child that I watched and I witnessed, he was uncontrollable by the teacher. He, he was watched and he was monitored. Eventually, the teachers and even the principal became exasperated. They did not know what to do. His parents were addressed and a doctor's visit was scheduled. The young boy comes back to the classroom as docile as a kitten. The behavior problem was fixed. The rowdy behavior eliminated. So long as he swallows the red pill every morning. And voila, the youth group is managed and the lessons can continue. This is how the little ones can all learn together. You see, together, everyone achieves more. Classes cannot be interrupted. The parents are pressured to do something. The collective must be paid attention to. There's a great deal of societal tension applied. Conformity and submission, this is all expected. That the child is struggling with family issues or has been abused, that's considered and understood. But he cannot could disrupt, again, the collective. It's accepted and understood that not all will succeed, and this is even an attitude held in the Christian church of our day. The weak will fall off. They'll be relocated, shuffled through the system, and eventually isolated. He or she will be marked, his records will be noted, and the problems, eh, they'll be managed medically. But his history is recorded. So the assembly grows, and the indoctrination continues. The doctrines must be established. Understanding this, that from a biblical standpoint, the leaders of the church know that they are to be concerned primarily with the teaching of sound doctrine. This is a biblical principle. This does not negate the social aspects of the church, not at all. 
If poor teaching, however, is being preached, then poor practice will be seen in the congregation. Bad doctrine brings bad behavior. Leadership and submission is critical within the assembly. But who will lead? In the church, you have the pastor, you have the deacons, the elders. Authority must be established. Biblically, this is done in a particular manner. There is a pattern established and a method to be followed. Within religious leadership of Marxism, this is established with a great deal of ambiguity. In smaller circles, the small assemblies, it is actually done through self-appointment. The local elite take up these positions. These leaders, instead of elevating those around them, bring generally repression and poverty. They're not interested in seeing others succeed or the well-being as much as they are in seeing their own coffers grow and their power expand. Instead of human dignity, they demean it. Instead of honoring labor, they oppress and abuse it. They aim to direct and control labor, determining a man's value and occupation. Why? How can they do this? Uh, They're in an exalted position of authority. And in doing this, they're seeking to take from that individual his most fundamental possession, himself and the work of both his mind and his hands. You see, in reality, the citizen belongs to the state. John Locke, a tremendous thinker, reflecting biblical teaching, wrote, Every man has property in his own person. This nobody has any right to but himself. Virtually all world religions offer accounts of cosmic origins, sin and evil, anthropology, soteriology, and man's final state, and so forth. That is fundamental theology. Marx does the same. Marxism doesn't offer any apostatized form of Christianity. Don't get that wrong. He offers a wholly new religious faith, one suggesting itself as revealed truth and therefore universally applicable. Economist Esmond Burney, in referring to the religion of Marxism, says, the deep structure of Marxism parallels that of Christianity. It has a fall event the concentration of ownership of property in the hands of the capitalist and the chosen people, the proletarians, you and me, the impoverished, the poor, the hungry, the needy, as well as a coming day of judgment when capitalism is replaced by the classless society. It is the intention of the Marxist faith not only to surpass the Christian faith or suppress it, but to eradicate Christianity altogether. This was the expressed desire of Karl Marx. In 1844, Marx claimed that his new religion was grounded in the belief to achieve this perfect realization of faith, it would replace Christianity, and it had to. Christianity had to be eradicated or destroyed. At its core is the rejection of all religious faith involving a mystical and mythical god. The Marxist faith presents us with historical materialism which is a secularized version of Christian teleology. Now, teleology is a word you may not recognize, but it's simply the term by theologians used to say that everything in the universe has a cause and a purpose. It's the study of final causes. In Christianity, God designed the world and everything in it, everything, down to the smallest molecule. However, it's been affected by sin and is not presently seen in its original condition. Now, Marx's presentation of teleology includes history as a global vision and follows fundamentally on the coattails of the Christian eschatology, which is the doctrine of the last days and the restoration of man to God's grace. The devotees of Marxism 
progressivism, communism, however you want to call it, are in an effort to disassociate themselves from Christianity, as I mentioned earlier. And they want to deny any association or any similarities to the Bible when contrasted. But the facts cannot be denied. It's a glaring similarity. Marx was continually aggravated by Christianity. He made rejection of the Christian faith central to his entire philosophical argument. He had a nagging sense of frustration with the Christian faith. It truly, truly, truly bothered him throughout the span of his lifetime. His theology made this very clear early on. It was in 1844 that he wrote, The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is required if they are to experience true happiness. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of the soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. This represents the Marxist religious position. Vladimir Lenin suggested that religion is sort of spiritual booze in which the slaves of capitalism drown their human image, their demand for life more or less worthy of man. In Marxist theology, the concept of God is nothing more than a mystical creation of man. Man has designed and created a God who cares and accepts the weaknesses and frailties of humanity. The Marxist God does not do this. The mythical being understands the greed and lust of men. He understands. He gives to the idealist a sense of decency and acceptance, an illusory feeling of well-being. He dulls the human sense of guilt and regret regarding the character that the man possesses, regarding the failures and the inherent evils of his heart. This allows man to continue in his downward spiral with a sense of security and satisfaction. Thus, capitalism thrives in this mystical belief. Marx, he was going to eliminate this in his elimination of God. But in eliminating God, he creates a vacuum. For within the heart of every man is a, is a hole that desires to be filled. And Marx was going to fill that hole, not with a God-like religion, but with his own faith. Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come. 